Uh, oop, there I am. Um, I'm so glad that we get the opportunity this Christmas to partner with them. And this is, this is going to be a fantastic opportunity because if we can uh, meet our goal uh, of 250,000, that will allow Caring Network to open two brand new facilities in our area, which will impact a tremendous amount of women uh, and lives. So uh, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update before we pray for them today. Uh, we've reached about $50,000 right now uh, of our ultimate goal of 250. Uh, and so be praying with us that we can keep going, we can meet our goal this Christmas um, so that they can open those two facilities. We do have some Caring Network um, reps in our lobby this morning. If you would like to ask more uh, questions about this ministry, how uh, they do their work and how you can be involved, we would love for you to meet with them. Uh, they would love to meet with you and get to know you a little bit. Uh, so you can do that. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that as a church, every Christmas we get to be a part of, uh, of something like this. Uh, if you're new to being a part of something like this, the reason we do this as a church is because God has called us to be generous as he's been generous to us. It is a fundamental part of our faith that we give back and that we give what God has so generously given to us in a way that can further his kingdom and help others come to know him. Uh, and so we do that in our regular giving every week. That's why we do that. And, and just so you know, if you're a guest with us, your gift to us this morning uh, as your presence with us. We're just glad that we get to worship with you. This is really just for those of us who call Chapel Street our home. It's an opportunity for us to reflect back to God, uh, his generosity. Uh, and this particular opportunity at Christmas is when we go above and beyond that uh, to try and meet some kind of goal. Uh, and so uh, if you want to learn more on how you can give to this, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can give online. Uh, you can do it via text. You can do it through our app, which is very simple and straightforward. Uh, or you can do it in person as well. Uh, just make sure to indicate that your giving is for Serve the Well so that it can go towards Caring Network. Uh, but let's pray for them this morning. Let's uh, just ask the Lord to bless this ministry, to bless this opportunity for us as a church, uh, and then he would do great things. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this chance to serve our neighbors. And God, is, uh, as Michelle mentioned, this is, uh, this is something where we want to meet people where they're at. Uh, and God, I, I pray that you would give us a heart for these women to serve them, to humble ourselves, to come alongside them. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for your value for these women. And no matter what situation they're in, no matter what their reasons and their struggles, God, I thank you that you see them and that you love them. Lord, may we reflect that same value. Uh, Lord, as we give generously and as we support this, Lord, may our hearts be softened uh, and be more attentive. May we all, in even leaving this season, pray more uh, for these women. Um, God, we thank you. We thank you that you are here in the midst of this, and we ask that you would do great things. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his
Well, we are now in the third week of Advent, third week of this series. Are you, are you feeling the Christmas spirit yet? Yes, okay. Well, I have to confess, uh, last week I was not feeling the Christmas spirit, or a couple of weeks ago. We went out to get our Christmas tree, uh, and growing up as a kid, I don't know about you, there's always the, uh, the choice as a family between the fake tree and the real tree. Uh, and we were always a fake tree family growing up, but Janae, who was the Christmas flag banner holder in our, in our house, she said, let's get a real tree this year. Let's do it as a family. Let's get into the Christmas spirit. Let's get a real tree. The kids would love it, uh, which in theory sounded great. Uh, and then we went out to get it. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> we have four kids now, so it's a lot. So Janae is usually focused on at least two of them and keeping them alive. Uh, and then the rest of us are kind of making our way through. And so it was left to me to be the tree cutter and the tree carrier, which I felt fine about until I actually got to this thing, uh, cut it down, and then very quickly realized I have obviously parked way too far away. I'm going to have to haul this whole thing back to the car. So it, it was like a 10 or 15-minute walk back to the car with just me hauling this huge tree and like kids going, yeah, Christmas, all around me. And I'm slowly building like a deep rage within me. And then <clears throat> we get home. And first of all, I almost destroyed the tree because I went straight into our garage without thinking it's on top of the car. Managed to, <laughs> nothing, it survived, so it was okay. And then we pull it in the house and it's too big. So I'm, I'm like trying to get this thing to a place where I can cut some off the bottom or cut some off the top. At this point, the pine needles are like in my flesh all throughout me. I, I don't know how they'd made it through my clothing, but they did. And the kids are still like charging around the house as I'm trying to balance this huge object. And I just did not feel very Christmassy in that moment. I didn't feel it. The kids, they felt it. They were full of joy and happiness. They didn't know all about the weight that daddy had to drag to the car. They, didn't, they weren't thinking about all that. And you know what? I don't hold it against them because in my kids right then, I was seeing what Christmas really should be all about. Despite all the different things that I was struggling with and that I was grumpy about, really Christmas should be the season where all of our hearts are filled with joy. We should all be like those kids where every moment, no matter what's going on, we know this is a good place to be together. There is joy in this season. I think my kids understand Christmas a lot better than I do. Um, now, this song that we're looking at today, Joy to the World, it really, it gets at this idea. It gets at this idea that this should be a season full of joy. This should be a season where we sing and we dance and we celebrate. Uh, and it was written by a guy called Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts lived back uh, in 1700s. Uh, and he is well known for a lot of different hymns that we sing, just like many of the other uh, authors of these songs that we've looked at. He was very well known, wrote a lot of things that we sing. And he was adapting this song out of uh, Psalm 98. He was actually just creating a book of poetry based on the Psalms. He wasn't trying to create a Christmas song. But he, he writes this out of Psalm 98, and he ends up creating uh, a poem that a century after he's lived had become one of the most well-known Christmas carols of all time. We sing it every year. And I think the reason why we sing it every year is because it captures what I was seeing in my kids in that moment, right? It captures this idea that Christmas, that Advent, the coming of Jesus is a season of great joy. And joy isn't something that God just wants us to experience on December 25th or for the month of December even. Joy is something that is absolutely integral to Christian life in general. It should be something that we are pursuing and growing in and experiencing in every season of our life, even the really hard ones. Joy is a core element of what it means to be a Christian because joy is the gift promised to everyone who comes to Jesus 
It is the fruit of knowing and walking with Jesus. And joy is the witness to the presence of Jesus. Everything about being a Christian should be filled with joy. Watts knew that. And that's why he wrote this poem. And actually Watts, when he wrote this, he was kind of in a stage of his life where he was really tired of seeing joyless churches. This is something that he wrote. He said, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of the whole assembly while the psalm is upon their lips might even tempt a charitable as ever to suspect the fervency of the inward religion. This was his point. He was saying, it doesn't really look like we believe what we sing. If we really believe that this is who Jesus is, that he's done what he said he's done, then joy should be what we live in all the time. And it's, so it's heartbreaking when there are churches and there are believers and there are families in Christ that aren't experiencing that joy, that aren't knowing that joy. And why is that? Why is it that often we might be as emotionally dull as Isaac Watts describes? Why is it that in churches sometimes it's easy for us to lose sight of the joy of Christmas and to become grumpy over things like trees not fitting in our houses? I think it's because of three things. First of all, we miss the source of true joy. Second, we don't taste the power of true joy. And lastly, we don't practice true joy. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we go through this song and as we look at God's word. We're going to challenge ourselves to look at this. And I want Watts to help us, as he did the church in his own day, to challenge us and to, to help us think that the Christian life should be about joy. Always. So let's talk about the source of joy together. The source of joy. Now, uh, the other thing that I'm really looking forward to this Christmas with the kids is watching them come downstairs on Christmas morning. I don't know about you, but the way it worked in my house growing up is my dad would always get up first, uh, and then he'd come and knock on our doors, even though we've been awake since 3 a.m. And, and kind of scratching at the doors to get out. Uh, and he would say, okay, we're going to go check to see if Santa Claus has been. And so we'd come out of the room, and uh, we're like, I mean, you would thought we would have had like 10 lattes and 10 cups of coffee. Uh, and he goes down. And he always would draw it out, which I would kind of get mad with him for. He comes back and he's like, well, and I'm like, just tell me, is there a giant pile of presents or not? I need to know. And we would fly down the stairs and we'd start shredding it. And I was, I was well known in our family for being the guy. We had the rule of everybody opens one at a time so that we can all enjoy it with everyone else. And I was like, that's a stupid rule. I'm going to open them all right now. And I'm going to throw the, the wrappings all over the house. And so we have video recordings of my sister just kind of gently opening things. And I'm like, yeah, 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 t-shirts. Now what's else? And so it's just chaos, it's crazy, but it's full of joy, it's full of joy. And we love that, don't we? I, I said to Pastor Brian recently, we were talking about what's better, is it being a child and opening the gifts on Christmas, or having children and watching them open it? And I think it's absolutely the second one. I love watching my own kids now get that same experience, running down the stairs and being excited to see the gifts, because Christmas is all about joy, it's all about receiving the gift of joy. This is what Isaac Watts writes in his first verse, he says, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king, and let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. When Watts is declaring joy to the world, he's doing it because earth has received its king, because it's received this incredible gift, because God is finally here. The source of all joy is here. That's who God is. He is the source of all joy. It says in Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand of pleasures forevermore. I love that passage and have memorized it a long time ago because it paints such a good uh, picture of who God is at his core. He's the God of joy. He is the God who is joy and out of God flows life 
and joy in all of its fullness. One of uh, my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, says this about God. He says, undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. I love that last line. We occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy. Tiny droplets. Advent, we are remembering when the droplets gave way to the full measure of who God is. When joy entered into our world. That's why the incarnation is so unfathomably good, why we sing about it and we celebrate it and we make such a big deal because it is the moment in which joy put on flesh to come and walk with us, to let us touch it, to let us get close to it and listen to it. You know, all throughout the Advent story, everyone who comes into the presence of Jesus, everyone who encounters Mary experiences joy. In Luke 1.44, Mary visits her sister Elizabeth, and John, who is in utero, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy. Elizabeth feels her own child leap for joy because Jesus is present. In Luke 2.10, the angel appears to the shepherds, and he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Those frightened shepherds quaking in their fields and the angel says, this is joy, this is good news. And the shepherds run to meet this newborn king to experience that joy. And then lastly, the wise men, the magi, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because they knew joy had come into the world and they were gonna get to see it. They were gonna get to get close to it. That's what the Christian life is all about is coming to the one who is joy, who has come to us, getting in his presence and getting to know him. But how often is our joy truly rooted in the source of all joy, in God? If we're honest with ourselves, where is our joy usually rooted? Where is it usually located? It's located in things and in circumstances, sometimes in people. It's not rooted in the source of joy. We're all just drinking those tiny droplets that Willard talks about. Remember, these are good things. They are joyful things, but they are just a pale shadow of God himself. There's so many details about the Advent season and Christmas that are joyful, that are wonderful, but if they're not rooted in God, the truth is they're unstable. They're in danger of disappearing and drying up in any moment. When I become frustrated with a tree in my house, it's because my joy is rooted in getting what I want or having something that looks great or is easy to do. When I get grumpy at family get-togethers because I'm with people that I don't like or people who potentially have hurt me, it's because my joy is rooted in how I'm doing with them and not in God. But when joy is rooted in God himself, when it's in the source of all joy, it's unchanging, it doesn't move, it doesn't dry up. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are, what things I have, what things I don't have. It doesn't matter whether people respect me, people honor me, people have loved me. I have God. So joy's not moving, it's not going anywhere. And God's desire for us as people, all people in all the earth, this is why the angel said it's good news of great joy for all people. It's because God wants people to experience true joy. You were created to experience true joy. That's why God put you together in your mother's womb, is because he wants you to know joy. God is more committed to our own joy than we are. 
You ever thought about that? Sometimes we picture God as this thief of joy, but the truth is, the truth of the gospel and what the Bible's message is that God is actually far more in love with joy than we are. And he wants to share that with us. That's why he came. That's why he was born in that stable so long ago. That's why heaven and nature sing. That's why Advent is such good news. And once we've located the source of true joy, then we can experience the power of true joy. The power of true joy. Now, uh, I can't really imagine joy without laughter. If I think of, of joy, the next word that comes to my mind is laughter. It, it's just, it's kind of the outward experience of joy, right? And, and laughter, did you know, is a very powerful thing for your health. Laughter relaxes the whole body. A good hearty laugh relieves physical tension and stress, and it leaves your muscles relaxed for up to 45 minutes after you've laughed. It boosts your immune system because it decreases stress hormones and it increases immune cells and infection-fighting antibodies. It triggers the release of endorphins in your brain, natural feel-good chemicals that relax your body even more and promote a sense of well-being and even relieve pain. It protects your heart. It, It protects the blood vessels and increases blood flow, which can help protect against heart attacks. Laughter actually burns calories, so don't go to the gym, just watch comedy movies. (laughs) If you laugh for 10 to 15 minutes, it can burn approximately 40 calories, which could be enough to lose three or four pounds over the course of a year. (laughs) Laughter lightens anger's heavy load. Nothing diffuses anger and conflict faster than a shared laugh, right? There's always those people that you have tension with. When you laugh with them, things go away. Laughter may even help you live longer, and a study in Norway found that those who laughed regularly, who had a strong sense of humor, outlived those who don't laugh as much. And it was particularly notable for those battling cancer. Isn't it interesting that when we kind of peel things back and we actually examine, joy is actually not just a feeling or an experience that we aspire to. It's actually physically powerful. It transforms our life. Listen to what Watts describes in his third and fourth verses of his his poem in this carol. He says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Then jumping forward, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. See, when we find true joy, its power does a couple of things in our life. First of all, it frees us, and then it transforms us. It frees us. Now, we've, we've already talked somewhat about this. We've said that joy is something that liberates us, that changes us, that impacts us. But joy frees us. And it frees us because you and I are already finding ourselves, from the moment we are born, in a form of enslavement in this world. The Bible teaches us that because of sin, you and I are suffering from a form of enslavement. Sin as at its heart is not just doing bad things as we sometimes typically think about it. Sin is exchanging the joy of who God is for something lesser. Sin is, the, is, is saying, I don't need to find joy in God, I can find it in created things instead of the creator. And when we do that, we kind of fall into this sense of darkness. Imagine with me that we were in a room and to, to remove God as our source of joy is to kind of unscrew all the light bulbs in this room and we find ourselves in total darkness because the source of true joy is gone. All we're left with is these vague 
things that we can hold on to and we can feel the shape of them, but, but light has gone out of the room. And when we do that, that's a form of enslavement because we are trapped forever then, feeling our way around in the darkness, trying to grab things that can help us feel like we know where we are or have a sense of, of being where we need to be, but we don't have light to actually see. That's a horrible place to be when we really think about it, to be trapped without the source of true joy that illuminates everything else. But this is what the gospel says. In Isaiah 9, the prophet preaches and he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. See, when God gives you joy in himself, he sets you free. He sets you free from having to walk around in darkness and find joy for yourself and try and build joy for yourself. You're free to receive it. Have you ever felt the exhaustion, especially around Christmas time, of of constantly trying to create the Christmas that is going to bring people joy? I've got to have the right food set. I've got to get the right gifts. Everything has got to be perfect because if it's not, someone's not going to get the joy of Christmas. It's not going to work out and things are going to be a mess. I felt that exhaustion. Well, why don't we just come to Jesus, the one who gives us joy? Christmas shouldn't be a season where we're trying to fabricate our own joy. It should be the season where we're, we're rejoicing because God has given us joy without asking anything from us. Now, I also want to say, I'm not talking about happiness when we talk about joy. We've used that word a lot already this morning. And I'm not talking about just being happy. Joy is something far deeper than that. Biblical joy is something that goes beyond that. Joy is something that we can experience in hard times and in good times. It's something we can experience when we face loss as well as gaining things. Joy is a deep-rooted sense in our soul of fulfillment, of contentness, of being loved by God and wanted by God, that our life matters. And I know some of us don't feel that. Some of us come into church and we, we hear this story of joy to the world, but the truth is we're carrying wounds and burdens on our back that are just exhausting. We're carrying these wounds that can't be seen by anyone but God, fears that we've felt for too long, guilt that we've carried for too long, shame that we've known for too long. And Advent is the season where we can all come into this room and we can celebrate and know that God has come to address all of those things, to lift those off of us, to bring us joy. But joy also transforms us. Those who have felt the the joy of, of Christ's coming know that they can't stay the same for very long. One of my favorite people in the world, uh, in our church family, is a guy called Matt Caterer. He lives here in North Aurora, but these days he's very busy with a newborn baby at home, which is a joy in and of itself. But one of the reasons I love Matt is that whenever I am around him, all I feel from him is joy. He's just full of joy constantly. One of those people that you just, you love talking to, you love hearing his story. But Matt has told me that he never always felt that way. And that he certainly never projected that to other people. Matt uh, was, uh, is a former rock star. When he was younger, he and his brother started a band called the Smoking Popes that became very famous. They got signed, they played in Hollywood, they had a few tracks on movies and things like that. Uh, They made what they'd always dreamed of being. The way Matt describes it, he says that even though they got everything they ever dreamed of, there was this darkness that hung over him. 
And even though he'd gotten everything he thought he ever wanted, he felt empty. He felt incomplete. He didn't have joy. And Matt turned to, to drug use and, and alcohol use because he was desperate to find this thing that he was longing for. And now that he'd got everything that the world said he needed, he didn't know where else he could look until one day he picked up the Bible and he read the story of Jesus. And I know it's not like this for everyone, but for Matt, the, what he said is that when he picked up that book and he read the story of Jesus, it was like he'd finally found what he'd always been longing for in his heart. All the money and all of the, the rest of it, the success and the glory. When he came to Jesus, he was like, no, this, this is what I've been missing. This man. And so now you wouldn't, when you meet Matt, you, you wouldn't believe it when he tells you this story. I mean, the way he describes it, he's, he tells me all the time these stories, and I'm like, I can't find that in you, Matt. When you tell me that you used to struggle with this, that you used to have it, that you, you didn't used to feel this way, I can't find it anywhere in you. Do you know why that is? It's because joy transforms you. When, when you come to Jesus, it, we're told in God's word that we are a new creation, that he completely renews us and remakes us. And so that's why it's, it's very regular when you meet people who've walked with Jesus for a long time and they tell you stories about where they've come from, you can't find it in them because it genuinely isn't in them anymore. It's gone. That sense of longing and emptiness that they've had. When Matt met Jesus, he was completely transformed and God wants to transform you and me. So this morning, if you, are, if you are sensing places in your heart and your mind, if there are things in your life that you feel stuck in and that you feel burdened by, my encouragement to you is God doesn't want you to change yourself. He wants you to come to him so that his joy can transform you. That, that is the good news of, of Advent is that the king has come to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And sometimes, even in the church, we believe this pseudo-gospel that says, you've got to build your joy, you've got to find it, you've got to pound it into yourself and be happy, and that is not what God is delivering. That's not what he's selling, that's not what he's bringing in his son. He's bringing joy that is free by grace. So come to him. Stop trying to transform yourself and change yourself. Just come and find your joy in God. Which leads us to our last thing that I want to talk about this morning is the practice of joy. And this could be the most important. I skipped over, uh, when we were talking earlier, the second verse of Joy to the Well. And I want to go back to it. And the reason I skipped it is because there is something in there that helps us understand how we really experience joy in our life. It says this, it says, Joy to the world, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Second verse of this song is really a challenge to us. It's a challenge because what it's telling us is that joy isn't something that just falls upon us. It's something that we enter into. He says, let men their songs employ. He's saying that Jesus reigns, he has come, and so we should respond. We should move towards that. Essentially, he's telling us there's actions that we can take to enter into God's joy. So what Psalm 98, the, the psalm that Isaac Watts used to write this carol, this is what it says. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness. In the sight of the nations, he's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song 
and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. There's so many passages like this throughout the Bible and, and what they tell us is that we need to enter into joy, that we need to be a people who rejoice, that we walk towards the God who's coming. And there's three ways we do this. First, we repeat. and Repeat the sounding joy. It's easy for us to, to celebrate and proclaim Christ's advent at Christmas because everyone is. And so we get into the season, but it's harder to do once we reach January, isn't it? It's harder to maintain and the Christian life isn't just about acknowledging the gift of Christ once a year or even one month a year. The Christian life is about acknowledging it continually, repeating the sounding joy. The gospel isn't something we proclaim on Sunday at 10 o'clock and then we go do the rest of the things and we do it again next Sunday. The gospel is something that every day of our lives we should wake up and repeat the sounding joy of its news to ourselves, to others. So easy to get distracted and to package our faith into moments and events and God wants it to be this ongoing flow in our life. We should be practicing joy by extending grace to other people because God's extended grace to us. We should proclaim that every day. I've experienced grace. God has loved me. He's forgiven me. He's been merciful to me. So I'm going to find people. I'm going to repeat that sounding joy. So I'm going to find people who have wounded me, who I know need grace from me, and I'm going to give it to them for free. I'm going to find people who feel forgotten and unseen and weary and tired, and I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to be generous to them. I am going to commit to proclaiming the sounding joy. I'm going to repeat the sounding joy. I'm going to seize opportunities to sit at dinner tables and in our places of employment say, I'm going to proclaim this. And not just through our words either, but through our actions, through our life. And We want to show people. We want to demonstrate it. You know, the second way we practice joy is through rejoicing. We repeat the sounding joy and then we rejoice. And when I talk about rejoicing, I want to draw us to um, some of the honesty of Scripture. And this is in Philippians 4. This is what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's why I say that this is very honest. You may not know this about Paul, but Paul is not the poster child for joy, if we were to look at the details of his life. Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, rejected, falsely accused, arrested, imprisoned, to say nothing of the rest of the horrors that he experienced in his life. And actually, for Paul, following Jesus saw a significant uptick in all of those things for him. Yet, this is the guy who sits in a prison cell when he wrote this and said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he's challenging us to do it. He's challenging the church of his day, and he's saying it to us. Right at the same time, he's saying, be anxious about nothing. So what he's doing is he's validating that people aren't necessarily feeling it, but he's saying, I want you to rejoice anywhere. I want you to sing anywhere. I want you to keep running to God even when your tank feels empty, even when you are sensing this overwhelming bed in your life. I want you to go to him because that's where you need to be. Don't be controlled by your state of mind. And when you feel joyless, rejoice more fervently, more passionately. Find things to be thankful for. 
Take control over your state of mind by actively rejoicing. Cling to God's word, dig through its pages, read it and reread it, no matter how dry you feel, no matter how much you don't want to pick it up and look at it. You say to yourself, no, I'm going to rejoice always because God is the source of joy and he is the power of joy and there is nowhere else to go but to him. And lastly, we remember. We practice joy by repeating, by rejoicing, and then remembering. David writes in Psalm 103, we just sang a song based on this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David starts this, and it's always stood out to me that what David does at the start of this song is he speaks to his own soul. He speaks to himself and he says, I want you to bless the Lord. I want you, my soul, to bless the Lord because remember what he's done for you. He's telling himself to remember. Remember all of God's benefits, his love and his care and his grace and his power. Let the good news of who he is overwhelm whatever you're going through right now. That's what David's call to us is, is to look at him and fix our eyes upon him. And when we see the beauty of his goodness and his care for us, the love that we have in him, let it wash over everything else that's going on. Now, I realize for some of you, that's a tall order. And that's a much easier thing to say from a pulpit than it is for you to go home and to try and live that. And to say, I'm going to let the goodness of God overwhelm my burdens and my heaviness. I know that you may have things right now that feel all-consuming, that just are crushing, that, that constantly are taking up the entire attention of your dashboard. But I want you to hear me, me when I say that practicing joy doesn't mean dismissing or ignoring what you are feeling right now. It doesn't mean pretending like heaviness isn't there. What it means is making sure that you add the joy of the Lord to the other side of the scales because it's, it's going to weigh it out. What we tend to do in our hearts when we're feeling something all-consuming is we just fixate completely on it. And we don't spend any time introducing anything else to the equation. And the joy of the Lord is something that offsets our grief and our burdens. That's why Paul could say what he said. That's why David could say what he said. So what does it mean in our struggles that God has come, that Christ has come, and that he is coming again? Let me share with you something that Peter Kreef wrote that I think sums this up for us. Peter Kreef wrote this, he said, now suppose both death and hell were utterly defeated. Suppose that the fight of our lives was fixed in our direction. Suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future and you saw with undubitable certainty that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your weakness, you could have for freely asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desire heaven, eternal joy, would you not return from that trip fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you are guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny, less a scratch on a penny. When Christians celebrate the coming of Jesus in the first advent and when we look forward with hope to the second advent, what we're saying is not 
that the pain that you feel doesn't matter. It's that there is a joy that far transcends all that pain and heaviness that is coming towards you. And it is guaranteed. It is fixed by the blood of Jesus. It is fixed by his covenant and his promise to you. Your struggles are big, but God is bigger. And your fears are strong, but God is stronger. And so we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, he's coming again. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this chance to reflect on the joy of Advent, the great news of your coming. Lord, we want to experience the joy of belonging to you and walking with you. God, we want it to be more than an idea that we aspire to. We don't just want to talk about it for a month and move on. Lord, we want your joy to fill our hearts so that the world might see it and taste it. So God, I ask by your Holy Spirit to do that for us this morning as we've reflected on this and as we've sung this. Lord, fill our hearts with the joy of belonging to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.